0: All right, so we are finally back in our book of John and 1 John, where we're going to hopefully finish in the next few months or few weeks. So this is uh, our lesson number 22, and we finished the fourth chapter of 1 John today, and we're talking about perfect love. And this, um, again, I think is the climax of where John is bringing his whole message And that's why we've done this verse so many times, uh, because John has given us three chapters about our position in Christ, uh, how we are to abide in him, how we are to rest in him and trust in him for our salvation, um, how we can have confidence in prayer and confidence before the throne of God. Um, And now we see the source of that perfect relationship and that perfect uh, fellowship with God. And that is on the basis of love, a love relationship. First, because he loved us, um, so that we can love him. So, First John four sixteen says, "We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him." So, this actually is the fulfillment of a prayer that Jesus Christ prays in John 17, where he is asking God that we have fellowship with him, we in him and he in us. Um, Though we are in the world, we're not of the world. We are, as Paul says in Ephesians, seated in the heavenlies together with Christ. Um, So we are able to experience this same love relationship with Jesus Christ because of the Holy Spirit, because of Christ living in us through that Holy Spirit, um, that even though he is not here and we can't see him face to face, we can still experience that love relationship on this earth, although we await the day that we are glorified together with him, and we are, or we know even as we are known, um, so we await our glorification, but that doesn't mean we don't experience any of the love that we will experience then, uh, when we are together with Jesus Christ, we are already together with Jesus Christ and can experience that partially now. So here's a quote that I really like from one of my friends, um, Brad Mastin. He says, John reminds his readers, both then and now, that means his original audience and you and me today. He's talking to both of us because this book is addressed to the church, um, that God is, in his very character, love. It is a feature of his character. It's who he is. Loving is not just something God does occasionally or a trait that he sometimes exhibits, but love flows forth from him in unlimited supply. So it is the very nature of who he is. In 1 John 3, 24, we read, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us so our response to the love that we have in christ to our knowledge of that love and to our shared fellowship relationship with him should be obedience to his commandments and this really pushes us forward into our next two verses in 1 john 4:17 through 18 we see how that alignment in our fellowship with christ being on the basis of love really is the strongest, most mature foundation that we can have. There are, There is ability to relate to him on a more immature basis. It's not a basis of love, uh, but we want to strive for that basis of love, to obey him because we love him and not need other reasons to obey him. So here in 1 John four seventeen. Oh, hang on. We've got a chat. Um, how a person feels loved by God if few is under trials that he cannot understand. Uh, the best advice I can give is to see what he has done for you already in saving you. Uh, that even if we endure trials today, uh, we have the hope of future glory together with him. That reading the Bible, reading his word, uh, we come to see who he is and what he's done for us. And we come to see that our trials in life, though they are very real, they pale in comparison to the gifts that we've been given in the body of Christ. And another way is to fellowship with the believers that John has told us that we can experience already. And he told us this uh, in, I think, 1 John 4, 11 through 15. He told us that we can experience this love of Christ Uh, in the same manner as he did that he had fellowship together with Jesus Christ. So when we are in fellowship in the body of Jesus Christ, we are actually sharing the love of Christ. It's not a love that comes from us, but it's the love of Christ through us in the body of believers. Um, So knowing that the source of our brother's love for us or our sister's love for us is actually Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is using our brothers and sisters to give us a more tangible experience of his love. Uh, and the same when we are loving our brother or sister, we are sharing with them the love of Christ, because that love doesn't come from inside of us, it comes from Christ through us. Um, so we want to be generous with that love as well and not, <clears throat> and not uh, withhold that from our brothers and sisters also. Um, so he says, uh, by this love is perfected with us. Again, it's not perfected in us, but it's perfected with us because we're used as a tool and others are used as a tool to share God's perfect love with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in the world so again this puts this in our position here in this world before glorification together with him we have the experience of this love perfected with us of confidence in the day of judgment that as we await his return, we don't have to await in fear. In fact, we await in the opposite. We await him in love. We await him excitedly for his return because we have no reason to fear. We have been made perfect together with him. Um, So that's what he's able to say. There is no fear in love. That doesn't mean that we'll never be afraid or never be scared, but it means that When we consider our relationship with him, we don't have to consider it on a basis of fear. We don't fear God in the sense of being afraid of him. We fear him in the sense of respecting him, of having that same fear that a child has for his parent. They don't hide because they're scared, but they come carefully and respectfully to their parents um, to address them. And so we do as well. When we come to the throne of God in prayer, We don't come shaking because we're scared, but we do come with reverence because we understand that he is so far above us, but that he has reached down in love to bring us to him. So we do respect, and it's a fear of reverence, but that's not what John's talking about here. He's talking about fear of punishment. He says, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So, we don't fear the punishment of God because we have been perfected in Christ. When God looks at us in judgment, he sees his son, and his son deserves no judgment. Therefore, we as well will not receive judgment because of his son, not because of us, but because of his son, we will not receive judgment. So, this brings us to some concepts of motivation. How then is a Christian able to obey the commandments of God? We know that when we are obedient to God, it's not us being obedient, but the Holy Spirit bringing us into obedience. That when we are able to keep the commands of God, it's not because we as humans are able, but because we as Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit and in a right relationship with Jesus Christ in fellowship, uh, have been enabled by the spirit. So here, Janet has a comment. She says, do you think when a person is under too much, too many problems, it is because he or she is under the discipline of God? Uh, not always. Um, it is possible for God to use trials to um, discipline us in the same way that a father will use punishments to discipline his child, to bring them back into a to a right-standing relationship with the Father, uh, but it's not always the case because this world, it says, also is full of trials for the Christian, and the world is not in fellowship with God. God can use it as a tool, but just because we are facing trials in the world doesn't mean God is punishing us. Uh, the one thing, in fact, that we are promised in this world is tribulation. So We don't want to just assume that if we are facing a trial that we are being punished by God, but he is always using that to strengthen us, that when we encounter troubles in this world, we can always come to him for for help, that we can always come to him in that love, and we know that uh, he is not going to abandon us in these troubles, even though the world not only abandons us, but it, it hates us. And he says, The world doesn't know us, the world hates us, because it hated Jesus Christ and didn't know Jesus Christ. And that is now our new identity. So when the world hates us again, we don't uh, look at that and say the world hates us, but the world hates Jesus Christ in us. And we have that shared identity with him. Uh, You can think of the same thing as uh, when Israel asked Samuel for a king. And Samuel goes to God and says, Israel's asked for a king, and God says, They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me Um, because Samuel was over them as a judge. They weren't saying, We hate Samuel. They were saying, We don't like God's rule over us. So, when the world looks at us and they don't like us as Christians, uh, there's two options. Either we're not being good Christians and the world is reacting against us because we are not acting in love. In fact, we're acting against God and not sharing the light of his word. And so perhaps we are being, uh, acting inappropriately as Christians, and the world does hate us, not because of Christ, but because we're being bad people. That happens. But what the Bible tells us about our position in our relationship with Christ, because we are expected to live in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, that if we are living in that right relationship with Jesus Christ, and they hate us because of the gospel, then they hate us because of Jesus Christ in us. Uh, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. Actually, that was uh, 1 John three eleven through 16, uh, one chapter before this one. Do you remember where it said, uh, even Cain slayed his brother? Um, and in that example, it was saying, we shouldn't be surprised when the world hates us, but we should be surprised when our brother hates us. So that when we are in the church, if the church or if our uh, brother in the church is acting like he hates us, this should be surprising because we should be in a right relationship with each other when we're in a right relationship with God. So we can't be hating our brothers and sisters because we love our brothers and sisters because God loves them. And if we love God, we love our brothers and sisters. And that's actually verse 19 and 20 that we're going to look at tonight. Um, So I'll wait to, to do that until we get there. But um, I hope that answers Janet's question. I I think as we move forward, we'll answer it some more. Um, So here, I have a little list of our biblical motivations to godliness, the motivation that we have when we are a child of God to live in a godly manner. And the best motivation we can have is love that when we are in a right relationship, right fellowship with God, we need no other motivation to obey him than the love that we share with him. That because he first loved us, we love him. And because we love him, we obey him. That is the perfect response to God's love. A second response that is not a bad response, but it's not as uh, as closely related to God as love, is gratitude, being thankful to him for the things that he has done for us in securing our salvation, in bringing us into right relationship with him, that we can fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we can have the hope of glory together with him in the future, so that because of gratitude and our thankfulness to God, we can obey his commandments through the Holy Spirit. Um, another response that again is not a bad response, uh, but is not as good as love, is eternal significance. That when we obey the commandments of God, um, our desire to obey Him will increase because our life is fulfilled. We are meant to be obedient to Him. We are meant to live in the way that He is intended for us to live, so that we can feel that sense of fulfillment when we are, or only when we are living in fellowship with him so we can obey him so that we can feel that full sense of significance that we are doing what he created us to do. We have three more and these again are not bad but they are less mature motivations. They do not indicate the most mature level of a Christian Um, and the first one is motivation by rewards. We are meant to be motivated by these rewards, but we should be motivated by these rewards again on the foundation of love first, not only because we are seeking rewards in heaven. Uh, And we can be motivated by both the gain and the loss or absence of rewards so that it is an equal motivator to strive to gain our rewards in heaven that we can look for opportunities to be an evangelist so we can get the evangelist's crown. Uh, But we can also do that because we fear losing these rewards or that we fear not receiving these rewards. That's a motivator. Uh, Again, it's um, it's not the motivation we are striving for. We are striving for a motivation of love. But this is a safeguard. When you think of the rewards that you have awaiting for you in heaven, and that you realize you can have a lack of rewards once you get there. It motivates you to treat this life as preparation for the next. So that is a motivation of rewards. Another motivation is duty. Now, this is similar to our motivation of gratitude or significance, but it's kind of on the other side of it. It doesn't have that sense of, love mixed in with it but simply god has given me the gift of eternal life so because of my duty my position in him i offer him the reasonable sacrifice of obedience Uh, this is not going to build the christian up in the same way that a love relationship is going to but it is a motivator to obey God. And when rightly related to the Holy Spirit, one can be motivated by duty and actually obey the commandments of God. Now, the last one on here is fear, because fear is not meant to be our motivator, but it's a last resort motivator. That when the child of God is not in right relationship with God, He can use fear to bring this child back into relationship with him, that uh, when the child of God is not rightly related to God in a love relationship, God can castigate, just like a father castigates his child. The Proverbs talk about this, the epistles talk about this, how the child of God can be disciplined so as to bring them back into the family fold to bring them back in so the father can offer them forgiveness for their um, experiential sins. So here I wrote, uh, the one who is not rightly related to God in fellowship can still be motivated by fear, though it demonstrates their spiritual immaturity, that a spiritually immature child can be brought into maturity through the fear of discipline in the same way as a rebellious child can be brought back into fellowship with the family and into right standing in a good relationship with his parents through the process of growing up and maturing. Um, I was a child who needed a lot of discipline. Um, So I understand this one, where I was was in trouble a lot as a kid. Um, So fear was a motivator to obey my parents. But the more mature I became, Love became my motivator for obeying parents, that because I love my mother and father, I seek to obey them because I love them and want, uh, want to be in that good relationship with them, and I want to please them. Uh, so that is what we seek. As children of God, we seek to obey him because of our love for him, not because of our fear of punishment from him. If we are seeking to obey him because of our fear of punishment from him, uh, then we have some maturing to do, and the best way to do that is in prayer and reading our Bible, because that's how we communicate with him. He speaks to us through scripture, and we speak back to him through prayer, Uh, and we start with 1 John 1, 9, where we confess our sins to him, and we come back into fellowship with him. So let's look at this, then what are the commandments of God um, for us in the church age? And first and foremost is the command to love one another, or uh, first and foremost, um, after love with him is to love one another. So he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected. In us now, this is different than the perfected with us, uh, because this is talking about how we are used to love one another. Uh, that when we love God, because God loves our brothers and sisters, we are also going to love our brothers and sisters. But if God, or if we love God and we don't love them, then we are not actually demonstrating that we love God, uh, because when we love God, we also love the ones that He loves. Um, And this is not a worldly love either. This is a self-sacrificial love that we are willing to put ourselves on the line to love our brothers and sisters because we want to sacrifice for God, not because we want to sacrifice just for our brothers and sisters, but we want to sacrifice for them because we love God and want to sacrifice for him. And that is a correct motivation for brotherly love. And what does this love look like in Ephesians 4, 31? And this is just before he gets to marriage relationships, which always are on the basis of love. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So if you feel any of this in your heart for one of your brothers and sisters, take it to God, bring it to him in prayer, confess your anger with your brother or sister, confess uh, maybe the gossip that you want to share about your brother and sister, confess that to God and ask him, Lord, change my heart. Help me to think differently about this person so that I can share your love with him just as I receive love from you. So he says, be kind to one another, be tender-hearted, forgiving each other. And this is the kicker, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. In Matthew, it says, uh, not to expect to be forgiven if we are unforgiving. Um, now this is talking about our fellowship position with him, not our salvation. We expect salvation on the basis of nothing but faith alone. But when we are in the family of God, we have to be just as forgiving as God has been to us and there is no uh, there is no damage that a brother and sister can do to us that is, more than God has forgiven us for doing against him in our unbelief before we became believers, in our continued unbelief after we become believers. uh, When we slander him, when we uh, do not obey him, we have done more grievance to him than any human can ever do to us, and yet he is ready and willing to forgive at all times. In fact, 1 John 1, 9, which we always go to for our forgiveness Passage says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful. That means without fail, he will always do this. He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we know that we can always turn to him for forgiveness. Our brothers and sisters should also always be able to turn to us for forgiveness because God is that ready and willing to give forgiveness, so should we. Um, i think it was peter who asked jesus should we forgive our brother seven times and jesus says no but 70 times seven times so here's another quote that i enjoyed this was from uh, tom constable he says a believer who does not love others feels guilty and fears meeting his judgment the fear is a punishment so that means even the experience of this fear is a punishment right now, even before we reach the judgment seat of Christ. His guilty conscience punishes him. A Christian who loves others may have other fears, but he need not fear the judgment seat of Christ. The fact that he loves others demonstrates that his relationship with God is essentially what it should be. So that brings up the question, then, what is the judgment seat of Christ that some Christians are fearing, because they're not living in a love relationship with God. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, it says, therefore, we also have as our ambition, that's something we're striving for, that's something we, we long to achieve, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, to be pleasing to God. And why do we seek to be pleasing to God? Because we love him and because he has first loved us. For we must also appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So this is talking about rewards or judgment for how we have acted in the family of God. Have we been good children, good brothers and sisters um, to one another? Have we done what it says in 1 John three eleven through 16? we love sacrificially with our brothers and sisters. He continues, or no, here in Romans 14, he says, "Um, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So we want to always look at our relationship with our brothers in terms of when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, How will God respond to how I am reacting right now? So if I am hating my brother or sister, we don't stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, oh, but God, you didn't see what he did. No, it's always about our relationship with God, not our relationship with our brother and sister. That comes as an outflowing of our relationship with God. So we don't want to be like Adam and Eve in the garden saying, oh, Lord, she made me eat the apple and her saying, but Lord, he tricked me. The serpent tricked me. We want to say, Lord, because I love you, I am going to love my brother and sister, regardless of how they treat me. And we can pray for our brother and sister, that they have the same heart, that they are also praying to the Lord. Lord, help me love my brother and sister in the same way that you love me. Um, in Romans 14. No, we just did that. In uh First Corinthians 3.13, we see Paul talking about our rewards in heaven, that when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, we will be given positive rewards for our good work through the Holy Spirit. So it said, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a full reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. So following Paul's picture, the image that he gives us, he says that he has built a solid foundation and it's the same foundation for everyone, and that is Jesus Christ. That we have at least the platform of Jesus Christ, that we know that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, even if absolutely everything we have done on this earth burns up, we still have that foundation. We have that eternal security in Jesus Christ, but a right relationship based on the right motivation of love and done through the power of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit moves us, this builds rewards in heaven that when we are rightly related to God and doing good works on the basis of our love relationship with him, then we are building up gold, silver, and precious stones. And those, when they pass through this fire of judgment at the judgment seat of Christ, won't be burned up. In fact, metal gets stronger as you put it through this fire. But if we have built up hay, wood, and stubble, and that is our works of our own hands, as um, Isaiah would say, they are filthy rags, even the works of the righteous. So even if we are righteous Christians, but we are doing works with our own hands instead of letting the Spirit work through us, these works burn up. You can think of uh, Adam and Eve. When they fell in the garden, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, but they weren't able to approach God with these fig leaves he had to cover them with the perfect sacrifice of his own hands, that he covered them with the skins of animals, which he made. Um, if it passed through the fire, their fig leaves would burn away. They were made by their own hands on their own power. Um, but though a regular skin would burn away, what was made by God's hand was able to save them. So our good works are not done because we are good people and because we have the power now to do good things, but because the spirit has always had the power to do good works and we are yielded to the spirit so that the spirit can work through us to do good works. So whatever good is done in our lives, it's done because we are in right relationship with God, with the right motivation of love towards God so that the floodgates open and the Spirit can work through us. You can think of, again, uh, John 15, where it talks about the vine and the branches, where uh, we are the branches, but Jesus Christ is the vine. And the sap, you can think of as the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit flows from the vine and into or through the branches to produce the fruit. The sticks, the branches, don't produce fruit, but the sap that moves through the veins of the tree produces fruit. That Holy Spirit is the sap of the tree. So that it comes from Jesus Christ, it comes through us, and it produces fruit. Um, And if that sap is dried up, if the branch is broken off of the tree, no fruit is going to grow on that tree. So, we are the branches, we are used for good works, and we are rewarded for the good works the Spirit does through us. And you can look at that and say, wow, what a good deal, right? It's not by my efforts that I am producing good works. But when I am in a love relationship with God, good works will be produced through me. Uh, And to be quite honest, the best way to experience that is to let it happen. And when it's happening, you'll notice the difference between trying to please God through your own works and simply loving him and seeing what he does with your life. For example, when he puts um, someone in your life that you can share the gospel with, it's a lot different than saying, okay, God's told me I need to share the word of God, so I am going to go to every single person in my life and go find a million more people, um, and regardless of the situation, I'm just going to share the gospel, and convert them. Well, this isn't working by the power of God, but God creates relationships that we can share that gospel with, that they can see our life and see how we live. And then they are made jealous for what we have in Jesus Christ. Um, A lot of evangelists see no success in their evangelizing. And that in and of itself is not bad because as Paul says, sometimes we're just planting seeds. Some people are much better at planting seeds than watering. Some people God uses to plant millions of seeds that are watered by other people. And some people never get the opportunity to plant a seed, but they are used their whole lives to water seeds that other people have planted. This is our work together in the body, because it's not on us to move the gospel forward, but it's on the Holy Spirit through us. We want to be ready and yielded that when the Spirit moves us to share the word of God, to share this gift of his son, that we are ready and willing to do that. And now that's not something that happens rarely when we are yielded to the spirit, the opportunities open up all around us. Um, But when we are trying to do it by our own power, we can have just as many opportunities, but the difference is we are making those opportunities. God is not. And so God is not in it in the same way as he will be when we, are yielded to the spirit and moved by the spirit. God will always use the preaching of his word because his word doesn't come back void. But it's not going to be building you rewards in heaven if you are doing it for yourself and not because you love the Lord. And again, that's, that's talking about our rewards. We have to be motivated correctly. It has to be motivated in the love of Jesus Christ. And that is our best motivator uh, Janet you look like you have lots of questions <laughs> I was trying so how to specify that you are not the one who force yourself to, to reach out to the person because sometimes it happens to me like I want to evangelize but it is like I'm shy doing it or maybe this person is mad you know how you how specify that it's the work of the Holy Spirit or I'd say, me? I'd say if you feel that want to uh, evangelize, that is the moving of the Holy Spirit. Um, but if you've not necessarily been moved to share the Word of God, but you've been moved to, uh, perhaps, Before, I mean, I yeah, if, to myself. Yeah, I mean, we can go back to uh, to these lists and these are the best motivators. So that if we are motivated by love or gratitude or even significance, um, the stronger rewards are built by number one and the weaker rewards are built by those. So that we've got like gold, silver and precious stones. Uh, None of those are going to fade away, but naturally one like love is going to be our, I'm kind of assuming from the context that gold is going to be that strongest reward. Crowns of gold or whatnot, um, those stronger rewards are built by a stronger love relationship with God as a motivator. So that when we are motivated by love and we're open and yielded to the Spirit, where I mean, I feel the same way as you, Janet. Sometimes I'm very shy. And um, I sometimes, and this is the worst, I fear losing a friendship if I share the word of God. It's like I've got this worldly friendship with this friend but I'm shy to share the word with them, but think about that friend. And if you loved them the way God loved you, you would realize that this person without the word of God is dying and your friend, you want them to live. So naturally your love for your friend to sacrifice, possibly potentially your own, um, benefit of having that friendship for the sake of that friend's soul uh, is much like what Christ did though on a far smaller scale of giving up your own life so that another might have the opportunity but not the guarantee of life so we had the opportunity of life in Christ and it became a guarantee once we believed but there was no guarantee that we would believe And yet Jesus Christ died for us anyways. There are many people who go to the grave having never believed in Jesus Christ. But his blood still was shed to pay for them. And that should be the same love motivator that we have for our friends. That we might lose our life with them. But it at least provides them the opportunity to have life themselves. So we want to be motivated by the same motivator which is love for our friends that is self-sacrificial and sometimes that's what it means to be self-sacrificial is to be willing to lose those friends for the sake of the opportunity that it could give them to save their souls Uh, so yeah self-sacrifice is something that's easy to easy to talk about uh, but it actually is hard to do it's hard to bring yourself to that uh, that point but the more you do it the easier it gets because faith is a muscle. It's something that when it's exercised, it's strengthened. When you see God work through it, it's strengthened. When you see what looks like miraculous things, things that you see God's hand moving, you realize, I've done the same thing before, but with a different motivation, and it doesn't yield the same fruit. It doesn't yield the same reaction from another person. When you are strangling people with the word of God it's much different than saying I'm risking everything right now but I want to tell you the love motivation that I have in Jesus Christ to share this message with you to share the love that I have in Christ with you because I love you because he has loved me Um, when that is our motivation not only will fruit be produced in abundance because it's the Holy Spirit moving through you so that when you see fruit growing, it's not because you've grown it, but because the Holy Spirit has been working through you. And I'd say when you notice that kind of fruit happening, um, try to remember, okay, what was the difference? What did I do here? Where did I yield to the Spirit? Let me continue to yield there because that's how we learn and grow in the body of Christ. We recognize the moving of the Spirit and we yield to that moving. We let that move us. How does that answer your question? A little better? Okay. I'd say, yeah, First John is one of the best books for learning our, our position in Christ, our work in Christ, our love motivation so that we can go out and do good works. Um, It's not us doing them, but it's the Holy Spirit doing them through us when we're yielded to him. When we let him work, when we we don't cut off the branch or we don't stop the sap from coming through it, when we don't dry up, but when we open the veins and say, okay, I'm ready and willing to be used. So use me, rather than saying, I'm going out right now and I'm going to do this. You got to wait for the Spirit to move you. Yeah. Um, So here... Let's just finish a couple more verses. We'll we'll end with verse 18, and then we'll do 19, 20, and 21 next week. Uh, so here it says, now little children abide in him. That means to rest in him, to stay in him. Don't go out of fellowship with him by um, sinning or staying in your sins if you have. You need to be ready to confess them so you can stay in fellowship. So that when he appears, he... Uh, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So we want to always be found in a right relationship with him. So what does confession mean? Confession means agreeing with him about our sin. When he has convicted you through the spirit, through the reading of his word, that something you're doing is sinful, don't make excuses for it. Confess it to him and say, yes, Lord, I understand my sinfulness. Help me in my sinfulness so that He can help you mature through that and come into that right love relationship with Him. If we're constantly denying that what we're doing is sin, we're not going to be in fellowship with Him and we're not going to be growing. Um, So we want to be ready and willing to confess those sins. Um, If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. So remember when we are acting in righteousness, that righteousness is not coming from us, it's coming through us. Because we are born from him, we have the ability to act righteously. But those who are not born of him have no ability to act righteously. They can feign or mock righteousness, but they can't actually have it running through them, because the righteousness of God is not like the righteousness of the world. It's not self-righteousness, but it is God-righteousness. And in 1 John 1.8, we just want to remember that uh, we all do sin. So this verse, uh, both this uh, 1 John 2.28 and 29, or 29 that says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also practices righteousness, is born of him. This does not mean that if you're not practicing righteousness, you're not born of him. That's not stated here in this verse. What's stated is, if you are not born of him, you can't act righteously. If you are born of him, you can act righteously. It says nothing about the middle ground. It says nothing about a Christian who's not rightly related to God and not producing righteousness. And that is this one in 1 John 1 8, that if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all sin. Before faith and after faith, uh, we don't stop sinning as Christians. What happens is we have a continual right relationship with God that is able to forgive us our sins, because First John 2, 1 through 2 says that Jesus Christ is a propitiation for our sins, and that's both our sins to bring us to salvation and our sins to keep us in, or that uh, keep us out of fellowship with him. Both are forgiven on the foundation of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. That we can have salvation because he died for us, and we can have fellowship because he died for us, so that our sins don't remove us from the body of Christ. But they should not stay in us. We should be maturing so that our sins decrease. If our patterns of sin are increasing throughout our Christian life, we are wrongly related to Christ in fellowship. We need to confess those sins, we need to agree with him about the sinfulness of our sins. So that we can grow away from them you remember uh, our second tense salvation is separation from sin's power this doesn't happen immediately but this is the process of christian growth through sanctification that as we're yielded to the spirit that sap is able to move through us and fruit is produced through us so that sin's power has an ever smaller grasp on us, that our experience of sin is ever smaller and ever weaker um, as we continue to grow in Jesus Christ through the Spirit. So here in uh, Proverbs, going back to the Old Testament, uh, chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, it says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as the father corrects the son in whom he delights. So when we have been born again by the spirit through Jesus Christ, on the basis of his death, we become children of God. You remember that in first John three verses one and two, uh, that we have been born again. Therefore we are children of God. We are in a family relationship with him. We should expect to be in the same sort of relationship as that uh, analogy provides that sometimes children are reproved by their parents. We expect this and we receive this in love, knowing that it is for our growth and for our maturity. Because Hebrews twelve eleven says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, that means if we learn from this discipline, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That is what we are seeking after. That is what we are desiring, is that peaceful fruit of righteousness. Uh, I'm just going to read these last verses that we're going to talk about next week. First John four nineteen through 21 says, We love because he first loved us. This love that we love one another with, it comes from Jesus Christ. It's not something we produce, but it's something that is produced through us. So if someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. Or the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. Now, we're going to talk about it more next week, but this doesn't mean the one who doesn't love his brother isn't saved. That's not what this verse says. A lot of people will try to say that. But this means if you are saying, I love God, but you hate the people whom he loves, then you are not demonstrating love for him. So it becomes evident that although you are saved by him, you're not motivated by love. You're not motivated by uh, gratitude. You're not motivated by significance. You're not motivated by rewards or even duty. Um, And it seems that you're not even motivated by fear you are in a wrong relationship with God if you are hating the brothers and sisters, because those are the objects of his love. Um, Verse 21 says, and this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So this command to obey him on the basis of love is a command to love. So because he loved us, We also love him and we ought to love the brothers and sisters in Christ whom he loves. And in a different way, but with the same love, we are to love those who are not brothers and sisters so that they might become brothers and sisters. We're to love them again with the self-sacrificial love, but we do want to understand that they are not yet in the family of God. They are estranged from that family. They need to be born again but a love motivation should motivate us to share Christ's love with them. All right. So with that, we will close for tonight. Let me uh, pray and then I'll close it. And then if we want to say any last words, we can uh, talk about that. Dear Father, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for John, uh, that although he was the last of the writing apostles, um, we didn't fail to receive his words that though he wrote uh, quite late into the first century um, his writing was preserved by you so that we could learn from it Uh, so we're very thankful that we have this book of fellowship uh, this book of first john uh, so that we're able to learn about our love relationship our love motivation and the love that we can have with one another and how we can experience your love in and through that uh, through that fellowship We thank you, Lord, for our brothers and sisters, for the fellowship that we have with them. Uh, We confess our sins that uh, sometimes we do not love our brothers and sisters as we should. Uh, We pray that we are uh, brought into a right relationship with you so that that motivation can be corrected. Um, As a father disciplines his child, bring us into maturity um, so that we don't have to fear discipline, but that we can be motivated by love um, to strive after after your high ideals through the Holy Spirit that gives us power um, to work on behalf of you in this world. Uh, we pray that we be yielded to the Spirit, that it becomes clear to us more and more as, uh, as we are sanctified by your Spirit, what you would have us do on this earth. And then please, Lord, give us the power and the ability through the Spirit to do that those things. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for all these things. We look forward to your return so that we are removed, not just progressively from the power of sin, but also from the presence of sin. We pray all these things, Lord, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.